Welcome to another edition of Laugh, Lend and Eat the Podcast with your host Fabi Nagmi. Fabi is the National Sales Manager for First Option Mortgage, as well as a writer for several mortgage magazines. Brian View, President of FinLocker joins Fabi on this episode. Brian shares his insight on how technology is changing the mortgage industry and what the mortgage lender can do to make sure they get their share of the mortgage business. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Lend, and Eat the Podcast. And I hope everybody's doing well. I know we got a lot of freezing temperatures out there. And uh, speaking of freezing temperatures, we have Brian View of Finlocker coming in from Michigan, if I remember right, Brian, right? That's right. It's uh, definitely freezing up here. So we're, we're happy to share our weather with the rest of the country. Yeah, it's like one of the few times that Texas doesn't look so bad right now to you guys in Michigan, right? Yeah, right, for sure. <laughs> what is the temperature out there right now, Brian? Oh, we've warmed up quite a bit. I think it's 15 today. <laughs> 15, nice. That's bomby, man. That's right. You know, I always see these guys walk around with shorts up here. I'm in D.C. Metro, right? Yeah. Northern Virginia. And so I see these guys walk around in shorts and it's like 30 degrees outside, right? And I'm like from Pakistan, like anything below 72 is like freezing my butt off. <laughs> it's funny. I did a, I did a, uh, a talk about an hour and a half ago with one of our clients. He's in San Diego. And so, you know, I'm here in Michigan and, and this talk was for the rest of my company. We do this uh, lunch and learn every, uh-huh. uh, every month. I call it bites and bites since we're kind of in fintech. And uh, the guy that was on is in San Diego and he's sitting there with a North Face jacket on. And everyone's like, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, we, we, there was a one guy used to be in Miami and he would put his little cardigan on when it was like 62 degrees outside. I was like, really, yeah. dude, seriously? Enough <laughs> <laughs> about the weather, man. So, you know, you've been in the industry a long time, or at least seems like a long time, right? I mean, I think like 98 or 99 you got in, right? Uh, yeah, maybe a little earlier, 91. Um, 91, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow, you got me beat. I thought I had you beat. I got it in 94. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, this is the first, uh, you know, my first real job, I'll say, out of college. So, um, yeah, I, I, I got in by, um, basically walking my resume around town. I lived uh-huh. in, lived in here in Southeast Michigan, and we had just gotten married, and, um, my father-in-law kind of said, there's, there's just one, one rule here. And, and that is you need to get my daughter off of my benefits and on your own benefits. And I'm like, what the, what the hell are benefits? I don't even know what benefits are. So I went uh, job hunting and my number one goal was to find a job with benefits. And uh, that's how I ended up in the mortgage business, believe it or now, not. Were you, were you a I mean, loan officer to begin with? So, yeah, I mean, in, in essence, I, I started in 91 with a company called Fireman's Fund. And, um, and Fireman's Fund was sold right as I was uh, joining the company. And they were at the time, the, the number two or number three Ginny Mae servicer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was not, you know, non-bank we'd call it today. And uh, the, the job was literally, uh, I'd had a stack of, of return messages and there was like three points of data on there. There was a name, a phone number, and a number with a percentage next to it. I didn't even know what the heck that meant. And my job was to, to take those, those uh, messages, if you will, or callbacks and sort them highest to lowest based on that number with a percentage, which I le- later learned that that was interest rate. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. and we were calling, you know, basically I would call people and say, 
if, you know, if they were, and these guys were at 12%, 14% on FHA at the time. And, and our, our offer was if we could, if we could get you into a 10% for no cost, would you like to talk to a loan officer? That was my job. Wow. And I'd smile dial and the yeses went over here. The noes went in the garbage can. And that was uh, servicing retention in 1991. <laughs> So in other words, you didn't like grow up as a kid dying to be a loan officer. Oh, of course. I, I studied it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had pictures of bankers posted up on your wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Had my HP when I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were interesting times. So one of the things I saw on your resume when I was when I was getting ready for this is you worked at IndyMac for a brief That's time, right. right? Yeah. In the early 2000s. Yeah. And I loved IndyMac. I used to think that was like, I mean, I remember them when they were called Independent National. Independent and National, country, right? And Born in the basement of Countrywide. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but IndyMac was a great outfit. Were you in the New Jersey or Pasadena or? So, um, so I joined the company in 2003 and we were, I was part of a, a team. I led the team that's, that started up a true correspondent lending division. Okay. You know, so IndyMac was really, today we'd call them, you know, Minicore or Nondell correspondent. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they really were a, a broker slash kind of mini core shop. And so um, myself and a few others kind of got recruited in to build out a kind of a traditional agency execution for correspondent lending, delegated, AOT, yeah. you know, bulk trade, that whole deal. So um, my group was uh, in three locations, Pasadena, Phoenix, and Atlanta. And then mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to be able to stay here in Michigan and ran the, the platform and just kind of traveled across the, the country that way. I used to write me, I actually wrote a letter one time requesting to have underwriting for my, my, for my shop. I, I used to own a company at that time, to have my underwriting taken out of Atlanta back to Pasadena. <laughs> so because the underwriters don't understand how to do loans up here from DC Metro. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was, so I was there for five years, almost to the day. Um, and unfortunately, I was there when when you know the FDIC came in and said we were no longer. Um, yeah. But it was you know I, I look at that time, and you know under Mike Perry's leadership, it was by far the most dynamic, engaging uh, environment, uh, entrepreneurial environment. You know, it's a big company, but mm -hmm. the each department really was able to kind of have their their own flavor. Uh, and, and be entrepreneurial. And Mike was just a great, great leader in that respect. He's easily, you know, one of the top three mortgage minds um, that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm still friends with uh, Linda Bauer. Oh, yeah. She, she, she's actually come on the show, I think, in a few weeks. No way. She's a real estate agent now. And so we're doing a realtor panel across country. Tell her I said hello. She's, she's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's a good, she was always a good friend of mine. We stayed friends. I actually called her up in, gosh, in 97. I, they, they, this company I was working at started the subprime division. And no computers back then, right? Just using the manuals and these sheets of four oh, yeah. how to calculate the rates. And Brad, I literally said this, I said, Linda, I don't know you. I don't know how to use these rates. But if you teach me, I'll make a lot of money for both of us. Right. There you go. I love it. She was all about that. <laughs> and so we went down that road, but, uh, and then also you were at, uh, and I'm going through your resume. I'm so yeah. sorry about this, but you, you, you work with some really cool companies, Flagstar. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where I was, you know, so I was 27 ish years in mortgage production primarily. And it, you know, a couple 
side stints all in mortgage, but mostly in mortgage production, mostly running big, big production shops. And, and most recently it was Flagstar where I ran the, the third party business, um, which is where I got to know Kurt from, from first option and, and, yeah, the, and yeah. the first option company. Uh, they were a client uh, of mine at Flagstar. And um, yeah, I, I've been blessed with um, being with great companies and, and working with great leaders at great companies. So when I talk about some of the great mortgage minds or just leadership minds, the CEO of Flagstar, Sandro Danello, is another just wonderful human being, but just a great thought leader. And uh, he was a career banker that mm-hmm. had to that had to pivot quickly and really understand mortgage banking. And in and, and in less than 12 months from not not being in the mortgage business, he could have sat and and uh, passed the the CMB exam. He, he's just wow. that intelligent and just understood and got the business wow. quickly. He also was Christy Furco there also. She so Christy, right? yeah, Christy yeah. joined. Um, Christy joined uh, probably five years into my tenure there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she's another another great friend. I I heard her speak one time at one of the NEB events a few years ago, and she was just dazzling. I mean, I just oh, yeah. her, her insight, her 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 passion, um, her you know just the way she carried herself was amazing. As good as she is on stage or in front of people, she's that much better in a one-on-one situation. Wow. Just tr- truly one of the most genuine, uh, nicest, but best. I'll try to get leader. her on the show here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think it'd be impossible now that she's at the current company that she's at. So we'll see. Oh, we could probably we could probably swing it. <laughs> so listen, know about your resume. I know you're you're the president at Finlocker. I've been doing a really deep dive on Finlocker because look, I've heard your name. In all fairness, we've never met before. We've never right. had a conversation prior to this recording. Um, learned a lot about Finlocker, right? Uh, I think I, I I could probably go sell Finlocker now for you. But right, let's do it. Another <laughs> person. <laughs> I think I got it down. But I, obviously, I had a lot of questions also, right? So one of the biggest, the first question I'd really like to start off with is, it seems like the comparison is made that we have these large retail institutions, and they have all these tech products that the smaller institutions just don't have. Right. And your guys, Finlocker, you guys are kind of leveling the playing field, if I'm going to just real layman's term, right? Sure. So for me, it's like, I'd like to know, like, in your mind, what do you think that the big lenders have that the small lenders don't have right now? Yeah, well, so first they have capital and resources to, to do these kind of things, to build these kind of products, uh, consumer-facing products, right? Um, and, and, and look at even the biggest of the banks don't necessarily have the best solutions. So, um, you know, some are very strong in, in technology and consumer facing technology and others, mm-hmm. it, they're, they're woefully behind still. Um, but what they do have is, is the capital and they have the, the manpower to go build stuff for themselves. Right. And what, what we built at Finlocker, um, was this, you know, we built this consumer facing, you know, financial well-being app is probably the best way to describe it. It's a very holistic uh, financial app for consumers. Um, but we built it in a way that is pretty easy to implement. I mean, you can you can make stuff very difficult and complicated if you want to, mm-hmm. but literally if a, if, if a lender signs up with Finlocker today, Thursday, by next Thursday, I could have their environment stood up and they could be engaging consumers into their custom white labeled version of right. the Finlocker app. So of course that's no customization and no implementation, but 
we've made it that easy to, to, mm -hmm. to set up. Um, and so what we've, what we think we've got is a way for, you know, I'll, I'll say mid, mid-sized to smaller uh, lenders uh, in financial institutions, although we're, we're working with some larger ones, but well, I mean, we define mid-size real quick. I mean, a lot of people listening may not understand that word, right? So yeah, everybody's got, you know, I would say probably, you know, if we want to talk about it in terms of originations, yeah, probably sub, you know, 15 billion a year in originations is, is probably okay. mid, mid-size, you know, five to 15 is probably mid-size. And then the smaller players are sub 5 billion a year or something like that. Got it. Okay, that's fair. Um, you know, it all depends on on and how you how you I think. Mean, I see different statistics, and I think Scotsman's guy has one thing, and then yeah, recently uh, some other survey had another thing based on employees. Yeah, so you never know though. So I want to make sure the audience understands where FinLock could really benefit them if they're that category. Yeah, what I would say is is we we have we have mortgage brokers who are clients that are using us, and those are the smallest of the small local hyper local you know originators, and we have. Mm -hmm publicly traded, you know, national financial institutions, banks that are clients. So, so but we do, we do feel our sweet spot is that mid size. Got it. So give me one, one product in your mind, because I saw your website, right? Or your app actually I downloaded it on my phone. Nice. Right. So now you got my information, by the way, keep it secret. <laughs> we can't see it. We can only see it when you decide to show it cool. to us. Thank you. Um, like one product that I think, let's say a broker, let's use a broker because I like that. It's a very small shop, maybe yeah. a couple of guys and they're doing, you know, 30, 40 units a month, not a, not a whole lot, but hey, it's their livelihood. Right. What would one product that would make the broker's life easier, I guess, that FinLocker could offer them today? Yeah, so that's a great question because we're, there's, there's clearly there's products out there, technology that's focused on efficiencies and and um, streamlining processes. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily in that space, although there's things that we do as a byproduct that create efficiencies and create streamline. The way I think about the benefit to a, a local originator, whether it's a mortgage broker or or a, a loan officer who's who's within a a, a shop, our product becomes an extension of that originator. And what I mean is if you're if you're prospecting at the top of the sales funnel and you're focused on filling your funnel with with prospective first-time home buyers, mm -hmm. you can either conduct, you know, home buyer classes and education and do webinars and seminars and this, that, and the other thing, which which are all great ideas to do to build your funnel. Or you can use a tool like FinLocker, which becomes an extension of you. It's your brand. It's your logo. You're the you're the loan officer connected to the consumer in that locker, and you can give that tool to the consumer for free, and the consumer then can use that tool to monitor their, their credit and learn about how to improve their credit, uh, enroll their financial accounts, and create budgets and goals for saving. Use the mortgage readiness assessment to get a gauge wow. on where they stand, and so it becomes a way to kind of connect with a, 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 a wider group of folks and help them groom and prepare for an event. And let's just say the events buying a home, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of the, that's top of the funnel. The other place uh, where it benefits the, the loan officer is we're not a one and done transactional app, right? So once the app's on the consumer's phone, the tools and features and function of the app continue to provide benefit to that consumer beyond a mortgage closing. So now it becomes another way 
to stay meaningfully connected for a customer for life experience to keep that keep your brand in front of that consumer. So the loan officer basically, I mean, as long as the, the I don't delete this app from my phone. Yep. Which I normally don't. I, mean, I know. I got pizza places in Florida that I can win because I can order online. You know what I mean? Um, but um, so as long as the consumer keeps the app on the phone. Will they be getting messages or, or touches from the loan officer periodically? And that's exactly right. We nice. so the the way to think about the app, and, and we're actually going through a uh, a a relaunch of our mobile app. So mm -hmm. we're about eleven weeks into a, pro, a six month project. In in early May, we'll launch what we're calling Finlocker 2.0. Mm -hmm. And there's three pillars of this relaunch that we're working on. One is, you know, UI UX, which is always something you've got to have, you know, your eye on. So we're working on improving gamification and uh, just improving the, the overall user experience, as well as exposing features and functionality for the user. So that's kind of one of the cores of the rebuild. The second pillar is this concept of persona. So we're building an infrastructure that uh, is based off of a persona of a user. So as the user's invited to the app and they start to sign up and, and fill out their profile, we start to categorize them into a specific persona. And then as they go deeper in their profile and, and we ask them questions about their goals and objectives, those become attributes of the persona. And, the, and then we create a very dynamic custom journey for that user based on their persona and their objectives. And then we have this layer of engagement that is doing what you described. It's continually reaching out to the user saying, hey, you're halfway to your goal for saving for a down payment. Yeah. Or, you know, it's time to, it's time to, uh, you know, you're a first time home buyer. You've, you've, you've loaded your locker, you know, two months ago with, with documents to be ready to apply when you are mortgage ready. And it's time to update your most recent pay stubs. Do you want to download and upload those to your locker now? So just continually reaching out in that regard. You know Sue Woodard, right? You, you got oh, yeah. Sue, right? Yeah. She was on the show a few months ago. And she said something that was, you're just reminding me of this because it's almost like a lot of my tech friends or guests are kind of heading down the same highway, right? And I'm, I'm hearing a bunch. And so I get the benefit of being like yeah. having a conversation with you all, right? And she was talking about it. Fab, it's not artificial intelligence anymore. It's artificial intuition. Yes. Yes, right? I love it. And so you're gonna you're, you're gonna see is the same thing now. You're you're, uh, you're gonna see um, some news around Sue and and her group and Finlocker and our group at some point. Um, but yeah, that's exactly right. And and what what's cool about what we built is it's it's all based around direct source data, the consumer's direct source data. So yes, yeah. we collect some information directly from them as they complete their profile. But then when they enroll their credit, add financial accounts, every day we have a dynamic, fresh look at their entire financial picture. And so when you think about the, the journeys and the engagement of the platform, it will, journeys will dynamically change as their, their data changes, especially if they've set goals and objectives and they've met those goals and objectives, they, they leave that journey and they're on to the next one. Wow, yeah, yeah. so I mean, you guys partnered up with TransUnion about a year ago, right? Yes. Uh, last Is that how you guys fall. are getting the credit information? So our partner, yeah, our partner for the credit products is TransUnion. Um, mm -hmm. What's cool about uh, our relationship with, with TransUnion is A, they invested in Finlocker. So they're a significant investor in our company. 
B, they, uh, we've, we've executed a commercial agreement where they actually are buying our product and using our product with some of their uh, B2B mortgage customers that they work okay. with. And then probably the coolest thing that I think is, is super relevant for the audience, especially those looking to uh, fill next year's first-time homebuyer pipeline. TransUnion is one of the bureaus, right? And they know more about you and I than we know about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's what's <laughs> So they, they have all this vast credit data that they, they, they can tap into. And they have some really smart people there. They have a, a, a group of data scientists. They built sophisticated algorithms that go look at the data. And let's just say first option as an example said, hey, Brian, I wanna partner with Finlocker and TransUnion and identify uh, consumers who are likely first time home buyers in the next six to 18 months in these right. geographies, these five states that we wanna bring into our funnel. TU goes out, kind of runs their, their model, their algorithms, brings you back 50,000, 100,000, a million records of data, right? Now, we're not telling you these are all in, guaranteed going to buy a house, but they're very likely to based on the data that, that TU uh, has analyzed. Mm. And these are way up the sales funnel. So not, there's no triggers happening. No one's, no one's raising their hand saying, I'm buying a house. And how do I know that? Because you had a tri-merge credit bureau. These are right. predictive leads. Right. And then you market them to get into your FinLocker environment. And then the locker grooms and prepares them for mortgage readiness under your logo. At what point do we cross the line of privacy rates? <laughs> yeah, it's so, so uh, yeah, it's blurred, right? It's a very, right, because line. I mean, you're, you're talking about no, I haven't pulled my credit report. I've never had, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, first option starts saying, hey, Fob, are you thinking about maybe upgrading your, your home? Right. I heard you got a new dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a fine line. There's, you know, you have to, in this, in the, in the example that I described, you have to be, in a position to make a firm offer of credit. So, um, but that's just, you know, that's part of the marketing program, right. but, you, but you're right. It is, it, it's a blurred line. And I think, you know, what, what we, the way we think about it at FinLocker is, you know, we've built this app that, you know, if you want to go look at the mint.coms and the nerd wallets and the credit karmas and credit sesames, et cetera, mm -hmm. they have, we have a lot of the similar features and functionality. We, I think we go a little deeper and a little wider with the tools. The difference, the key difference in our mind anyway, is that when a consumer comes into FinLocker, they're coming into the first option instance of FinLocker and it's a one-to-one -one relationship with the consumer and the financial institution. Right. That's a good point. That's a great where, point. Where Mint is basically gonna sell yeah. URI as a lead to another financial institution. Why does everybody put the locker after their company's name? Whenever I see somebody team up with you, I know. It's XYZ locker, it's BYD with locker. <laughs> we, we, we see locker vault. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw what the, what the guys at vetted VA did. They are actually pretty cool. They called do you, are you familiar with Chris Griffith and the vetted VA guy? I know Chris. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. So, you know, they, they work with uh, veterans. That's their, their constituency. And, they call it the vetted VA go bag. So nice. in, in military parlance, yeah, you always have your go nice. bag packed, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Yep. I think I would call this up like maybe first option U-Haul. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you fill the locker up. I'll take yeah. it when you're ready. <laughs> hey, we're up for that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into this a little bit more. Because look, I mean, we've had a, 
I saw a show of yours from last year, or you were on a show. I'm not sorry, you don't have a show. By the way, if you ever decide to have a show, you gotta call it the View. Yeah, <laughs> I write a uh, I write a piece for uh, for Jason Fraser's uh, Mortgage X newsletter, and it's called The View. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right above me. I'm below you. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I forgot. I think mine is beyond the numbers, but yes, I saw yeah. that's where it was in my head. So. <laughs> 2020, we walked into 2020 with this pandemic. We walked into it, like also the money got sucked out of the market. There was panic. There was question to you, I mean, did we overreact as an industry about 11 and a half months ago? I think we did. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, there's there clearly, well, I don't know if you could say it was an overreaction because this was a literally a, a, a once every hundred year event, right? Okay. And so in the U.S., we never had this uh, this type of a uh, an event when we've also had this kind of a, uh, economic or financial environment or infrastructure. And um, I think you know it's easy now to say yes, it was an overreaction. But the really good news is it was really compressed in, into about a five week period of time. Yeah, yeah that's weird. That's uh, yeah. I was I was actually you know thinking I was pretty smart at that point for getting out of the mortgage business directly um, <laughs> until the last 10 months happened. And I've seen the crazy numbers people have been putting up. <laughs> yeah, I, I got on uh, uh, about last August, I started telling everybody no more coming on my show and talking about the record number that you just hit. Right. Like, like if you're not hitting record numbers this year, you're never going to hit them. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> my dog can close seven loans a month right now. I mean, that's, yeah, right on. So it, it was kind of interesting. Overall, as a as an industry, though, we fared well. Yeah. A lot of it had to do with products like Finlocker kind of offers, where consumers knew they were ready to buy a house. I saw a lot of prepared buyers coming. Yes. You know, I I'm not in the I'm not in the front end anymore on the sales side, but I see my market leaders and their loan officers and so on. And they were just it wasn't just refis, it was a lot of purchases going yeah. on. Yep. And did you guys, I mean, see an uptick at all? Any kind of benefit? More people signing up on Finlocker? We we did. There was there there was a from the consumer perspective, what we started to see in the call it May June timeframe last year was consumer adoption really kind of spike up. In other words, as our clients were inviting their prospects and customers into the, the app environment, we saw a higher percentage of kind of uptake or acceptance rate, again, that May, June. And, and what that kind of signaled to us was there was this pivot kind of happening and, and the pandemic accelerated it where, you know, even our grandparents had to figure out how to do mobile banking, right? Yeah, um, or a Zoom so, call with the kids FaceTime. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it, it, so there's, there, you know, the, the pandemic definitely accelerated consumer acceptance of, of technology, especially mobile technology and, and mobile financial technology even right. more so. Um, I think the, the, uh, what's gonna be fascinating, frankly, is you know, 18 months from now, looking at that next two or three years of mortgage origination and how much real face-to-face -face will happen, right? Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we, let's not, we, we, let's not kid ourselves, you know, this, the distributed retail loan officer model, great model. I think it's, I think the value is immense. There's, there is immense value in the knowledge that local 
professionals bring to the to the equation. Absolutely. But even pre-pandemic, a, a good loan officer, even a great loan officer would be lying to you if they said that they were meeting face-to-face with more than 50% of their borrowers. Mm-hmm. It just, it just, we just have evolved greatly. And I think we're even, you know, we're probably pushing, well, today we're 95% we're, we're doing digitally just out of necessity. I mean, Jason actually pinned, pinned a letter in, in that mortgage X letter that we write in where you're talking about the Zillow, right? Yeah. And, and the, 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 obviously the amazing lead that Zillow has. And I know Barry Habib, um, he was talking about, I forgot the guy's name right now, Kent Richard something that runs Zillow was previously running uh, uh, Travelocity or, or yeah. Expedia, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And Expedia, and I remember reading an article with some travel agents, I told this to Barry one time, where they, it was, they were glad they were hyping the fact that they received 24% of the online business that past year. Yeah. And I'm thinking, hold on, 24%, that means 76% was done by some digital company. Right. Not that local. And so are we experiencing, or I mean, obviously, look, I think it's a foregone conclusion that we're going into that, you know what I mean? Timeline that you're seeing, because look, you're, you're on the cutting edge of technology, right? Yeah timeline is there a sunset i mean is there like a couple of years is it fob you know what by the end of 2025 if you're not digitally savvy you're probably not going to survive yeah i think uh <laughs> i think if you're not there by end of 2021 you're done i mean okay. that's just that's yeah because if you if you if you're not already at least trying to figure out how to get somewhere into that space things are moving so fast and they're so, and I mean, what I'm amazed at is how much capital is coming into our industry around Mm -hmm. technology, around FinTech. And so that, that's, you know, that's a bellwether right there that just tells you if you're not investing in your business right now, it's going to be a rough, it's going to be a rough uh, ending, (laughs) I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I I look, I looked at the travel industry and really, because quite honestly, I mean, I started using more and more online travel. I don't know, like maybe 07, 06, yeah. Yeah. even sooner. I can't really remember the date that it happened. It was just to get the cheapest price. Right. Even though there was a family friend who had a travel agency that I had known since I was four years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but his rates were always higher. And I just wonder at some point in the mortgage business, if that's what we come down to where the other part real quick to this is also with like, Allstate insurers, I named them only because it's top of my head, right? Sure. No matter which agent you call, you always get the same price. Yeah. If I have a 2016, whatever, Toyota, I want to get the same price from every all. No one's going to be higher than that one price. Right. I kind of foresee that happening in our industry also. Yeah, I think we're getting there faster with with data, with as much data as available. And, you know, Finlocker is a, a, a good example of that where we're going to be, we're, we're not too far off where we as consumers will be walking around with all of our data ready to go for any kind of transaction. Right. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. it's just a matter of saying, okay, I've got my, my locker, my fin lockers ready and I'm in, and I'm, I'm buying my Ford Explorer. I'm ready to submit my application for my lease or my, my, my auto loan. Will you accept my locker? You know, we're, and, and we can replace locker with my my uh, my form free passport, right? Because Brent has got a great data, product. Like what I was thinking, you mean you get yeah. your bio data for your financial bio data? Yep. 
That's where we're going. We're going. We're we're rapidly getting to a place where consumers uh, are in control of their data and empowered to leverage their data to their benefit. And part of their benefit is going to be ease and security, but a big part of it's going to be commoditizing the product and the price and getting the best possible combination of price and and product. You said the S word, so let's go. That was a question I had. So. Security. Yes. Finlocker, you guys are holding all my information this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trusting you guys that no one's going to invade you guys. And, right on. You know what I mean? And now, obviously, I got some other stuff to make sure if something happens, I'm protected, all that, right? Most people may not have that. What are you guys doing for as far, I mean, without going into details, right? But yeah. how so, are you guys comfortable holding all this data in your, in your lockers? So there's there's the, the first thing to, to, to say is that Finlocker as an entity, we don't have the data. We don't hold the data. So we we have a, we subscribe, you know, we're a client of Microsoft and we use the Microsoft tech stack, including their okay. Azure cloud. So all of the data is secured in the Microsoft Azure cloud. That's that's kind of Perfect. one thing. The only time data is, is you know, um, exposed to Finlocker is when the consumer expressly consents to use their data. And in the case of a mortgage, they can start a mortgage application from our mm-hmm. product. And when they go through the consent process, we we then start to aggregate their data from the cloud into a file that the consumer then can securely share to their lender through the through the app. So so it's pretty important to know that that the data itself is is stored in, in the Azure cloud. And then the the sharing of data is all based on an consumer consent and, it, and it's consumer consent each time they want to share that data. So yeah. very, very secure in that, that respect. We're, you know, Microsoft puts us through all kinds of, of scrutiny and audits. We're audited by, by folks like Fannie and Freddie um, as well. And then, you know, we have banks who are clients. And so they put us through pretty stu- tough vendor approval and monitoring. So we're, we're very, um, focused on the security. That's, that's the biggest, you know, if you think about it, the biggest risk to our brand is, sure. is a yeah. security issue. And so it's what I mean, we think about all the time. I think, you know, the more we rely, I mean, just like kind of like we were talking about privacy rights and everything, but the more we rely and have convenience with yeah. our phones and, and putting all of our stuff on this one phone, security is just, and we're hearing these news every day about more and more cyber crimes and this, you know what I mean? It's just like, I remember at one point I have a cousin of mine, he's a cybersecurity expert here in DC. And he told me, hey, listen, it's already over. Don't worry about it. Someone already has your information. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh my God. He goes, the only way you can ever do that is just totally get off the grid, yeah. start using cash again. I can't go back to the life. <laughs> no, I, 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 I can honestly say that the last time I touched paper money, it's, it's probably been a year now. Especially with the pandemic, right? Yeah. Like, who do you, I don't, I don't leave my, my house. <laughs> someone asked me for my credit card number the other day, like a week ago. I couldn't figure out where my wallet was because <laughs> on my on my computer on Google or whatever, I keep all my credit cards so right. I had to pay you online, you know. Yeah. And other than Google, there's Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about homeowners and financial issues facing them right now. As we're going coming, look, rates are ticking up. We yep. knew this was going to happen. You know, there's a $1.9 trillion bailout 
which I look at it as deficit, but that's it's needed or whatever side that you think it is, but whatever. So rates are going to have pressure on them in this entire year. Right. They got to go somewhere, and I, it looks like it's going to go up. So as a homeowner, other than the rates, what other financial issues are they facing right now? So these are you're you're talking about kind of current homeowners who potential who, homeowners. Let's yeah. just say potential homeowners. Yeah, I think um, you know I think the biggest the biggest risk that that they that they face is employment, right? And so just depending on the sector that they're in, you know, again, we've been blessed to not have been, our industry has not been impacted negatively by mm -hmm. COVID. In fact, one could say the only negative impact to our industry is there's too many loans and not enough capacity to handle them, right? That's a real, that's a real challenge. Um, but, you know, other industries aren't as lucky and there've been significant number of people that have been impacted. So I think there, there will be this, this, um, this population of impacted consumers and probably, probably consumers who otherwise would have been ready to buy a home in 21 mm -hmm. and 22, that might, they might be extended another 18 months or 24 months until they, they become ready, depending on how long they were out of work and what that impact looks like. Um, you know, I think the, the, the homeowners, what I'm really watching and, and I guess concerned with is what happens once this, you know, with this forbearance window finally closes, right? Yeah. And and will we see, will we see a flood of, you know, loan modifications that then trickle into or or maybe turn into a wave of of uh, defaults and foreclosures? Yeah. The reality is 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 you know I think we're now into May or June with the kind of forbearance extension. And so if, if that's the case, you're probably, you're probably not even seeing real default, you know, coming until 2022. Mm. And then if you layer on top, most states have, you know, 12 months of uh, process for foreclosure, you're really not even talking about 2023 until the first wave of properties would hit the market. And you know, the, the, the biggest difference as we sit here today from the last crisis was that crisis was brought on by a liquidity event that then, that then crushed property values. You had, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You had, we had some bad financial instruments that were, that were deployed as well. Sure, um, sure. This has not been, this was not started by a financial crisis and, and a liquidity crunch. It was, you know, it's a health event that presumably will be behind us at some point. And so all we can kind of hope for, I guess, is that if we don't see values, property values plummet as a result, then maybe the, the, the foreclosure impact won't be as high because more people will have some equity to kind of point. exit gracefully from, from, their, yeah. from their mortgage in their home versus just having to turn the keys in. Yeah, I've always believed that if the, if the values stay up, then more people will more, more likely sell the property than let the bank take it back. That's right. Yeah, you got I think ten percent, fifteen percent equity. You're not going to let, let that go. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna do the math. Twenty percent. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know you we we likely because if you remember the, the the crisis brought this this concept of strategic defaults. No one ever talked about strategic defaults until the the last crisis, right? Right. And that, right. those were just people gaming the system. Yeah. Will we see that again? Probably. It probably that's probably going to be dependent on how much equity they really have in the in the property. I think mm -hmm. if there's 
if there's a significant amount of equity, let's say 50K or more, I don't know that strategic defaults is the best, you know, going to be the best consumer experience there. And so it's probably going to be those tighter equity positions that people may just say, look at if I can stay in this home for 12 or 15 months, whatever the foreclosure period is and not make a payment, then I'm just going to bank that 1500 mm-hmm. month in payment and, and move on. I've always said that the greatest thing that we received out of that last 2008 mortgage collapse was obviously a little bit more realistic and appraised values. Yeah. You know, where, where appraisals and, and, and I don't know the right word. I know there's a form out there or some law out there air yeah. uh, that protects appraisals and that kind of stuff, right? But I, I just feel like they have much more concrete values that are being given. And they're just not kind of like, hey, the loan officer said he's not going to pay me if I don't give him X value. Yeah, but it, but you know, a big a big piece of the puzzle back in the crisis was it wasn't the primary home purchaser that really was caused that caused the big issue. It was the, the speculators, the investors that yeah, could get in and buy a home with no yeah. money down with a no doc CISA type product, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's not they had they had no skin in the game to begin with. Yeah. And so the first sign of trouble, it was it was just a it was just a financial trade for them to say, here you go, lender, here's the keys, I'm out. Yeah, you know what's funny is, and I'm gonna have a couple of realtors on here in a few weeks, so I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna get me in trouble with them. But in the 2008 meltdown, I never saw one article or story ever talk negatively about the real estate agent. Right. And I know I was originating back in those days. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I always remember this one agent who brought in a client who had four contracts on four different properties in the same new development and wanted me to do each property owner occupied. Yeah. I'm oh like, yeah. Really? I'm like, seriously? I mean, oh, <laughs> what benefit does my company get for doing that? <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I also think we, we, we are a more sophisticated industry in 2021 than we were in, in 07, 08, 09, in terms yeah. of our ability to understand big data. And that's only going to help us going forward. I think there, there, you know, there's, there's, I have a hard time believing today that, you know, somebody, a lender, the G, the GSEs, if if you or I were going to go out and buy a new primary residence, they they could flag that pretty quickly and 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 say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what about yeah, what about your yeah. house in Novi, Brian? What's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. Now, recently, you you guys, I think in the last six months, you guys just developed a relationship with Marshall Griffin's company, Home Free. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now, it was it was a little unusual for me to see that, right? Because I've always thought of that organization. I think it's an organization, right? The nonprofit, yep. So, I mean, how is that going to benefit their base? So, yeah, uh, we have a couple of interesting non-lender, non-financial institution relationships. Home Free USA is one. And I think, I think within Home Free USA, we have 15 or 20 of their affiliate nonprofits that are working okay. with us. Um, and then we also work with a couple um, uh, nonprofit housing counseling agencies, um, credit coaches. The the um, the value that they're seeing, first of all, the consumers that they are helping. Th- this this is where I talk about high tech. So our our app melded with high touch that 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 local counselor, the Home Free yeah. USA. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, nonprofits and their counselors who engage one-on-one with consumers. When we can, when we can bring in technology with the with the high touch, we we allow that counselor to scale and touch more consumers. And it and it really 
here's where it comes comes into play. It, from a housing counseling perspective, uh, a consumer who's working with a housing counselor or a credit counselor goes through a pretty deep budgeting exercise. And I always paint the picture of, of the consumer coming in with their shoebox of receipts and statements. It's not quite that <laughs> I'm bad. I'm client, don't laugh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite that bad, but, but they are using, they use spreadsheets. They, they, they ask, they interview the, con the consumer and they plug stuff into a spreadsheet. Hmm. Well, with, with a product like Finlocker, if, I'm, if, if you're my counselor and I'm working with you, you would say, hey, Brian, here's, here's, the, here's this app. Here's my app. Sign in. Let's let's go in together and set up your locker. And then when I've enrolled my credit, my financial accounts, et cetera, et cetera, all my all the data from my accounts accounts are there, the transactional data. Mm -hmm. So then we created a we created a uh, a detailed budget that mirrors the HUD approved housing counseling budget. Okay. And what we're enabling the consumer to do once they've set up their app, once their budget is activated, they can now share digitally share that budget with their coach, their counselor. So wow. we've, we've probably just taken out at least an hour upfront in that engagement, but then when they meet monthly okay. or however often they, they coach, that data is up to date and refreshed every time. Are you seeing an uptick of people working towards home ownership with a uh, home free now? Yeah. That, yeah. There's, awesome. there's, yeah, there's a big, um, there's a big, there's a lot. I was surprised at how many consumers are, are going to folks like Home Free and other nonprofits direct without a lender first or without a real estate professional. They're, you know, the, these, these local nonprofits are just wonderful assets to the community. And so the consumers are getting there and finding them and working with them. And, and what we're working on is, you know, we've got, you know, a couple dozen, maybe three dozen clients today, lender clients. And ultimately we wanna find a way to match consumers who are becoming mortgage ready with one of our right. nonprofits with lender clients and be able to seamlessly share data to enable a mortgage application. Yeah. That one caught my attention because we're both in the DC Metro. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, I, I didn't know about that one. So that's pretty interesting. You know, there's a, there, yeah. there's, there's another, you know, another way to think about it. Um, and there was just an article that I just literally read like 10 minutes before you and I started, it was talking about the mortgage declination rate for minorities versus yeah. non-minorities and it's 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 crazy uh astounding how how that how that is and 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 my immediate thought was finlocker doesn't see color mm -hmm. we just see data and yeah. so we have a we built a mortgage readiness assessment that just analyzes data and and part of me wonders if if, if that type of solution is a way to help solve for this this massive disparity in, in the mortgage declination rate i don't think we solve for it yeah. all but I, th I think we can help. I think every little piece helps, Brian. You know what I mean? I think every little, you'll never be able to stop what I call human biases. Right. Right. You can't help that. Right. Yeah. But I think everything helps. And the, and the more our focus comes because of these articles and because of, of personal stories that we may know about. Right. Uh, the more I think we, we can lend a hand where, where there's needed. And, and that's, that, that's really our, our, our mission. You'll hear, uh, you'll hear Henry Kaysen. Case Henry joined us from Fannie Mae as our, our CEO, and he's very mission mission oriented. And and we're all about building cool tech, but at the end of the day, we want to help people be financially well. That's really what we do. And and we have awesome. we have a, a very focused effort on helping underserved 
the underserved segment of our, our population kind of, you know, I don't know that in a, in a perfect world, we, we, we think our technology could help level the playing field, but I go back to, we only see data, we don't see color. And, and I think there is an element of if we can help uh, nonprofits and folks that are really working that segment with arming them with better technology to enable and empower the consumers they engage with, maybe we can help a little bit in, in improving Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, several years ago at another lender that I was at, we, we really led a, a thing to drop the credit scores. And the credit scores, I think in the 2012-2013, it was at like 640-660. And I attributed that same, like it was basically like you're redlining. Yeah. It's not to say that every minority had a score that was low, but the majority of minorities did have scores below 620-600. Yeah. And by not offering them credit, we were in essence doing what was what I call labeled credit redlining. That's right. And we were able to get the scores down low at this one company and, and really made an impact uh, yep. to where, you know, I'm not going to say I spearheaded that, but I definitely was part of the, uh, of the voices that I, I, I needed to be heard at that point. <laughs> For sure. No, it's, that's, uh, we love that. That's, that's kind of speaks to us and our mission with our, with our product. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit post pandemic. Yeah. Because you said something that was really cool. You, you had the same feeling I did. You looked at your Delta app. You saw it was empty, like nowhere to go, right? I had the same effect with my American Airlines. Like I looked at it one day and it was like, absolutely no. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the only way I used to be keep track of my schedule before. Same. Both those, right? Yeah. When do you see some kind of normalcy come back to business travel where you know, we're kind of comfortable going back and forth and, and do we want to do it? Yeah. Um, uh, do, I mean, that's the other bigger, do I really want to go back to that life? So, so here, yeah, I, and I was a road warrior for, for two decades. And so it, it became, it became my life. And, and I, when I was in my office for a week at a time, I was going stir crazy. I, <laughs> I think it's going to, I don't, I don't think we ever get back to if you want to say 2019 was called, if you want to call 2019 as normal in terms of mm -hmm. business travel, honestly, I don't know that we ever get back to that. And, and, and it's, I don't think it's because of a fear of, of flying or this or that. I think it's, we've, we've all had to adapt, not just in our industry, every industry has had to adapt. And if I had to be truthfully honest here with myself, I've been way more productive being sitting here at this desk in my house for the last freaking 11 months, 12 hours a day, seven days, whatever. But you know, when you're traveling there and I look forward, my, my biggest uh, thing that I look forward to on traveling was the alone quiet time on an airplane by myself, no, no texts, no phones, all that. Um, so, but I, but I truthfully, I, we are so much more productive, I think as people and we've learned how to adapt. Do we need to be, we need to be face-to-face. -face. Absolutely. That's in our human nature, but do I need to attend 30 conferences in the mortgage industry in a year? I could probably, I could probably get away with a half a dozen to a dozen and, and, and that would be plenty. Right. And do the other virtually because I don't think exactly. Zoom or WebEx or this stuff is going anywhere. I think it's going to be integrated into our lifestyles. Yeah. Where if you don't want to travel, you know what I mean? And spend three days in Las Vegas and eat lousy food. Right. <laughs> for, for me personally and for Finlocker, our, we, what we found, I was in panic mode when the thing hit, because we were just kind of starting to get momentum and, and it was mm -hmm. a lot of FaceTime and just conference rooms, demos, blah, 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 blah. The quality of our demos is 20x better 
over Zoom, over Teams than it is. Wow. I mean, just think about the headache you have to go when you get in a conference room and you've got to set up all the all the contraptions. Right. Something doesn't go right. Hope you can get on as the guest web, the guest Wi-Fi. Right? And I used to have my iPad that I would do like a presentation on, yeah. and I would look for somewhere to plug it in. Yeah. And God forbid they didn't have the right adapter. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I I do miss not being able to look across the table from somebody and kind of read signals, but but the quality of our demos is is just way better in yeah. this environment. So I don't see us. I think we are going to lean into this in a big way at Finlocker. Good for you guys. All right, man. Listen, we're going to wrap things up, but I need to ask you one thing that I think is close to your heart. I've been seeing you lose weight physically on, on these pictures. And I can see <laughs> here also you're losing weight. Is this related to your love of the downtown boxing club and why you're donating? To oh, them? yeah, I love it. It's not at all because the, the, a, lot of, a lot of people, when they hear about the downtown boxing gym, which is it's a, a Detroit inner city after school youth education program mm -hmm. we we i say we because i'd love to be associated with it i'm on the board there um they and our our founder colleague he uses boxing as the hook right nice. and so the kids that the kids that he serves are in in you know they're <clears throat> they're in dire desperate need of of help educationally and um and Kali himself would tell you that when he was 18 he he literally thought his his path by the age of 22 was either jail or death that was it oh wow because all of his friends and and family that's what that's what happened to them yeah. he uh committed to this cause and he's helping he, he's helps kids that are you know in in troubled educationally and our our program brings them back we've got a hundred percent graduation rate over that's the last awesome. 10 years and he uses boxing as the hook and, and i love the story because he'll say you know if if Johnny's telling his neighborhood friends that he's after school, he's got to go to go to get tutored, he's probably going to get his ass kicked. Right. <laughs> but if Johnny says, hey, I'm going to the gym, all his buddies are like, what? You're going to box? That's so cool. So boxing's the hook. Boxing is about five percent of what happens on a day to day basis in that facility. It's all about preparing these kids for for higher education or life after school. Um, so if somebody so, wants to donate, how can they donate to that, Brian? I know. Yeah, so um, probably the best way is um, is to email me, and I'll I'll forward a link to our our uh, board our our giving page. Um, but if you want if you want to check it out, it's uh, downtownboxinggym.org, um, and then my email is Brian B R I A N dot view V as in Victor I E A U X at finlocker.com. Awesome. I appreciate obviously, you look, that it's, it's, it's much It's much easier to find all of us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm just going to, are you on TikTok? Uh, um, I, I I think I have it on my phone, but I just don't use it. <laughs> dude, I, I, I bugged out of Clubhouse. I couldn't do Clubhouse. I turned off Clubhouse. Much. It was too many <laughs> notifications. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was way too much for me. So anyway, listen, looks like my, my phone is ringing. That was weird. I thought I muted it. Apologize for that. No worries. So, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Hope thanks you, for having me. Uh, stay warm in Michigan. You and too. I swear to brother, I wish you much success with Finlocker, and I know you guys are going to knock out of the park. Thank well, you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, take Have care. Nice thank day. you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Laugh, Lend, and Eat, the podcast. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, First Option Mortgage, and One Good One Staffing Services. We have enjoyed all the comments we have been receiving, please keep them coming. To be notified of any updates, please be sure to subscribe to Laugh, 
lend and eat on the listening platform of your choice. Thank you for listening and have a great day.